one to Real Life, Real Equity with your host Justin and the lovely Keisha Brooks. Say hello everyone. Hey and welcome everybody. Our goal is to share with you real life examples of entrepreneurs who are winning in both life and business. As real estate investors, our mission is to model, educate, and inspire you to act by sharing easy to implement tools, ideas, and information to add more worth to your net worth, more cash to your cash flow, helping you achieve your goals in less time. And we'll do that right after this commercial break. Are you part of the club? The Real Equity Club is a group of like-minded individuals. The club's purpose is to help create more wealth for its members. The mission of the club, to help you increase your passive income and net worth. The club is completely free to you. When you join, you will receive the tools, providers, and ideas you need to create, grow, and maintain your wealth. So join the club now at realequityclub.com to gain access. Or send us an email to info at realequityclub.com. That's info at realequityclub.com equityclub.com. We want to see you succeed in business and in life. So go to the website at realequityclub.com and join now. All right, welcome back to another episode of Real Life Real Equity. And today we have a pretty amazing guest. You're going to want to take some notes today. Our guest today is the CEO and founder of Sage Oak Assisted Living and Memory Care, which was founded in 2015. Sage Oak isn't just another assisted living company. Sage Oak is the boutique assisted living company with five locations in Dallas and a total of 40 beds. Sage Oak provides small, intimate home settings that allow those who need a little extra care to receive the love and dignity that they deserve. Sage Oak also has two ground-up boutique assisted living memory care developments in Texas and Louisiana, totaling just under 300 beds with an estimate dollar value of $45 million. Today's guest is also an active teacher and educator with his partnership at Residential Assisted Living Academy based in Phoenix, Arizona. Ladies and gentlemen, straight out of Dallas, Texas, I give you low hornbuckle. Man, thank you for being on. It's good to talk to you. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about what inspired you to be an entrepreneur, a business owner. Give us a little bit about your background. Give us a little bit about your why. Well, you know, I started in business, uh, you know, working for someone else and, uh, you know, I was running a car dealership. You know, it was, uh, I was successful at it. I enjoyed the work mostly. I mean, I was doing what, something that I was pretty good at and I thought I was, you know, helping folks that, that needed the help. But ultimately, I just realized that I had two models to follow. You know, I had my, my general manager and then there was the owner of the car dealership and the general manager was this, you know, really awesome guy, very hardworking but he just seemed to always want to be at work. And then there was the owner and he seemed to uh, play a lot of golf and uh, travel a lot. And he just really seemed to have a much better quality of life between the two people. And so I started to kind of model that behavior and realize, you know, a lot of people that worked with me, they wanted the general manager's job. And I'm like, I think I want to be the owner. I think I'd rather be the guy playing golf and running around doing whatever he wanted to be doing. Now, I don't happen to play golf, so I had to find some other way to, uh, to fill my imaginary time. But ultimately, <laughs> for me, uh, what it boiled down to was is just having control of your time, you know, being able to make a decision that I'm going to go, I'm going to go to this place for six weeks, or I'm going to go do this for a month. Um, it's a very powerful concept because ultimately, you know, you can always show up and get more money, but once time is gone, it's gone. And so for me, it's always been kind of a quest to, to have control or, or as much control as possible in my own time. That's really good. You can always get more money. You can never get more time. Right. That is really That's a piece of sage advice that you've just given. Speaking of sage advice, how did you come up with sage? Because you are a, what, assisted living operator, correct? Yes, sir. 
And it just so happens your name of your uh, assisted living home is? Sage Oak. Yeah. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your business. Sure. Yeah. You know, originally I was, uh, when I decided to kind of set it on my own, I, I decided I wanted to learn multifamily investing. And so I took a job working for an apartment company. I could just tell that in general, getting in apartments was kind of hard, in my opinion. I mean, obviously there's been so many people that have been very successful in apartments and people that got into apartments back in 2014 or 2013, they've mostly done very well. So I guess I just feel like it was a tight market. And the company that I was working for had about 10,000 doors and they were underwriting so many deals just to get one or two deals, you know, and they were, you know, paying very high level people to do these underwritings. And it just didn't seem like a model that was sustainable for me. One day they kind of mentioned that they kind of think senior housing was intriguing. It was kind of an internal struggle with that company. Like one person kind of wanted to pivot into senior housing. And then that very same week, Gene Garino came on the uh, real estate guys radio for the first time was the, my last week there. So I was leaving to go start my own thing. Wow. So in the span of a week, I quit my job. The company I was working for talked about pivoting to senior housing. And I heard about this single family home conversion into assisted living. And so it just, one of those things where just like everything kind of pointed in that direction. And I was fortunate enough that, you know, I had enough money saved up that I could, you know, just kind of dive right in. So I just sort of made that my thing and said, if I spend 40 hours a week on this, I can become an expert pretty quickly. And so that's, that's what I decided to do is just kind of dive into to senior housing. Wow, that's really good. It seemed like everything just lined up for you. But I'm sure there's a story behind Lowe. So give us a little bit of who Lowe is, where you've come from, and what has inspired you to be the entrepreneur you are today. Man, I'm not sure if I have any PG stories that can really <laughs> questions. That's but okay. We like to keep it real. No, I understand. <laughs> I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana. It's affectionately known as a town called Ratchet City. <laughs> and I've been so there. I like to say you uh, come for the gambling, you stay because you got shot. And uh, <laughs> that, that's where I'm from. I spent 30 years there. And, uh, you know, that's where I was in the car business. And, you know, I, I made a lot of good friends there, but I just never really felt like I belonged. Hmm. Um, I would always kind of, you know, on the weekends, I would leave and kind of go to bigger cities like Dallas or Austin or Houston. I just kind of wanted to be around, you know, bigger places, you know, better access to airports and, and things like that. So I've always thought I was going to be a lawyer growing up. That, that seemed like that was what was going to happen. And, you know, apparently you have to go to college and law school to do that. And uh, <laughs> that was a bit of a derailing. I took a semester off just to kind of clear my head and, uh, you know, took a summer job working in a car dealership. And the first month I sold cars, I made as much money as my mother, who was a pharmacist. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I'm selling Mitsubishis at 19 years old and I'm making as much money as a, you know, a pharmacist has been doing it 20 years. I'm like, maybe I don't need to go to college. And that was kind of the process. So I kind of ruined myself on the car business. Fun fact, when you get in the car business, there's kind of this joke that you can never leave because the, everyone that leaves always comes back. And really? so, yeah, everyone that gets in the car business is successful. You know, once you, once you make six figures or mid six figures selling cars, it's kind of hard to ever leave. And so, there's just kind of running joke that, you know, I'll be back eventually. But so far, I've faded it since uh, 2013. So I'm going strong compared to uh, some of my counterparts that pop back up. Okay, so let me just kind of recap because you're doing really some pretty amazing things. And I know I've talked to you personally, and you have your hesitations with saying how amazing you are. But in all things being equal, I think every achiever plays down some of their achievements. So but you're doing really well, right? 
Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy with the progress we've made. I mean, we've managed to, you know, achieve our goals in terms of the number of beds we wanted to open in Dallas. And I started working on two big projects, one in South Louisiana and one in, uh, one in Denton, which is just north of Dallas. And honestly, those two projects are, are basically planned care home communities. Okay. So they're basically large assisted living buildings, separately licensed, all on one campus. And so it really gives you all the benefits of a big building, but it eliminates a lot of the downside, which for me, you know, there's a couple of things I'm not willing to compromise. And, and one of those is kind of quality of care. Correct. And so for me, having the staff ratios, having the smaller settings, you know, those are all really important to us moving forward. It's one of the reasons why we, we build new product for the most part and not, you know, buy existing assisted livings. You know, there obviously are some assisted livings for sale. And uh, I just don't think they, the, the design of the building, the, the structure of how many staff they have to residents, that really doesn't interest me. And so we sort of consciously avoided that. And it makes our path kind of slow because to take six acres or 20 acres or whatever and turn it into, um, you know, an assisted living facility is a process. Right. right. So we've been kind of working on those two projects. And it's kind of fascinating because, you know, I've always been intrigued by real estate development. I can remember being like really young. And my dad was telling me, uh, we had a good friend that was a really smart businessman and he did people's taxes, even though he wasn't, wasn't a CPA. It's kind of funny. He like did people's taxes. He was, like, <laughs> he was telling about my dad's friend who said, he, you know, he, he would tell me, he said, Ken, that's my dad's name. He said, Ken, I'll tell you what, the two biggest tax returns I've ever seen are people in energy and real estate development. But I tell you what, Ken, they also have two of the biggest losses I've ever seen in my entire life. And so I always thought about like these oil people and real estate developers as sort of being this, these wild, you know, crazy characters that would, you know, just have these massive wins and massive losses. And, you know, at the time I didn't even really think about real estate in that way. Like I said, I was a kid, I wanted to be like a lawyer or a comedian or something, but that's always kind of <laughs> yeah, like, or maybe like a funny lawyer. I don't know. So, um, but that had always stuck with me. And um, so I've always thought about real estate uh, development as kind of risky. And so, you know, in my career, I generally kind of focused on just kind of, you know, cash flowing assets. I try to focus on things I understood, like single family homes or whatever. And so the idea now that I'm kind of transitioning into being a real estate developer, it's uh, really interesting and really fun. And, you know, it is a bit stressful. And for someone like me, that's kind of impatient, you know, it can be a slow process. You know, you hurry up and wait for two months here, three months there. So it's definitely a process and it definitely teaches patience. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you, uh, I know you're, you're a funny dude. So I, I, you know, I always get a lot of laughs whenever I'm around you and I never knew you wanted to be a lawyer, but you do have that kind of debaters feel to you, you know? So let, let's, let's talk about some of the highs and lows and what were some of the steps that you took to persist through those highs and lows? You know, I don't really ever focus too much on the highs because you know, you just kind of enjoy them. You got to celebrate them um, when you when you hit milestones. Definitely being in residential assisted living, um, you know, number one, you know, you're, you're taking care of people. And so the challenges that you deal with, it seems like the stakes are a bit higher uh, for me because I, I take that very seriously. The other thing is, is that there's a lot of roadblocks in residential assisted living. You know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of opportunities where you get told one thing or so, somebody at the city level tells you something and then you, that conflicts with what the state wants you to do. I think sometimes there's this mentality in residential assisted living that if you build a facility, it's just going to fill up, you know, you're going to build it. And all of a sudden you have a 10 bed facility and there's going to be 50 people knocking on your door, you know, trying to move in. And I, I didn't really find that to be true. You know, Dallas is kind of one of the most overbuilt markets for assisted living. 
And uh, it really made me have to, I don't want to say become an expert, but I had to teach myself marketing to the, to the point that I got respectable enough at it that I feel comfortable with marketing concepts, things like that, because, you know, I just wasn't able, I had to generate interest and in, in activity in, in the community. And, uh, you know, you have to kind of articulate, you know, how you're unique in the marketplace. Right. So I, I got a chance to spend a lot of time doing that. So, I mean, definitely a lot of, a lot of struggles along the way. I mean, definitely a lot of what many people would consider to be failures in the process, but ultimately I don't even really think about them as failures because they're failures when I'm knocked out of the game, right? Like if they're just temporary failures, then they're just learning opportunities or their speed bumps. So, you know, when I consider failure, like, okay, I'm out of the game, right? Like right. I lost control of the house or I'm dead or, you know, we lost the business. Those are things that I consider failure. The other stuff is just, you know, opportunities for you to go, okay, this didn't work. Why didn't it work? How do we improve it? And just kind of constantly kind of keep moving forward. So that's, it's, it's interesting that you brought up the low point being that there, there's challenges involved in filling a residential assisted living. And I had no idea that Dallas was one of the most overbuilt residential assisted living uh, cities in the country. You know, that's, that's new to me. But what's really interesting is how you pivoted and said, okay, I'm going to face this head on. Let me become an expert in marketing. Tell us a little bit about that. So what does it take to really go from a borderline startup, you know, and, and on many of the houses that you've done, if you'd agree, they've gone from zero residents to, you know, filling them all the way up. Actually, for the last several months, we've been at 100% occupancy. Wow. Um, so with a little bit of a wait list going, so I think we've got probably 40 beds and maybe three people on the wait list. Well, so in and, and Dallas probably averages about 86%, 87% for assisted living. So we're about, you know, 13, 14 points over, over the marketplace. I, you know, I think what it is, is one of the things about being an entrepreneur that I like is the, the most resourceful wins. Mm, um, that's good. You, you know, that, that's really what it boils down to because when you're a smaller entrepreneur, you have to do things on your own, right? So, you know, when you get bigger and you have more revenue coming in, you can hire more people to solve more problems. You can be more specialized, but as an entrepreneur, when you're starting or when you're, you know, you've got a relatively small company, maybe you're making enough money to pay yourself, but you don't have, you know, like a real full fledged business necessarily. You have to know enough about just about everything to be successful. Like, you know, for example, like taxes, like if you don't educate yourself a little bit about tax rules and laws, it's unlikely that your tax professional is going to say, Hey, low, go do a cost segregation study or, Hey, make sure you go buy a 6,000 pound vehicle so that you can take this depreciation. So there's all these little things that you kind of have to know, and then you have to have a team to kind of bounce it off of. But getting back to marketing, you know, most small assisted living facilities don't have enough money to hire a marketing person and also an operations person, right? So they generally hire an operations person and then they either ask the operations person who's often a healthcare professional to be a marketer. And they have no idea how to do that a lot of times or they take it on themselves. And so you really have to be able to kind of figure things out. And one of the things I learned is that in, in assisted living, you're not a commodity, but you can make yourself into a commodity. And so when I say commodity, you know, there are many products out there that, you know, you're just looking for the best price. There's no real service experience. You'll, you'll jump on Amazon, you'll look at it, you'll look at it in a store, whatever the best price, whatever the most convenient way to do it is the way you're going to do it. In assisted living, people will pay more. They'll take rooms they don't like as much. They'll take locations they don't like as much because they're after an experience or they're after a feeling. 
And so when they walk right. into your house, if they feel a certain type of way or, they, or, or there's an energy there, good or bad, it's going to influence their decision. And so what we started to realize is, is that becoming unique in the marketplace was really the only way to, to be successful. And so one of the ways we've been able to you know, outperform the market is by being unique, number one, but maybe even more important than being unique is we know how to articulate that we're unique because I have a lot of competitors that, you know, uh, do a good job and, and arguably do just as good a job as we do, but I don't really know what their brand is and I don't really know what their unique selling proposition is, you know, and they're constantly out there and they're constantly saying, Hey, this is who we are. This is who we are, but they don't stand out. They don't have that key phrase. They don't have that key tagline. Their story doesn't quite hit people emotionally. Yeah. They and, don't have that secret sauce. Right. And, and, and a lot of times it's just they don't know how to, in a short period of time, explain who they are and what they are. And right. I was just fortunate because I went to a bunch of, you know, B&I sort of, you know, 30 person, 40 person, you know, marketing meetings. And, you know, there's nobody there in, in, in assisted living and there's certainly nobody there in residential assisted living. So I was kind of, a, a, you know, this little new toy for the meeting. Like, who is this guy? What does he do? And it was kind of fun because I would explain what I did. And then I would just kind of notice what parts of what I told them stuck, right? Because if you tell someone what you do for 30 seconds, maybe like three or four seconds is going to stick. Right. right. And so what I started to do was I, I would just tell them different things. And then eventually I found out that certain things would stick. And that kind of became my brand was I realized like this sticks, right? So if I told somebody that I was, I converted single family homes into residential assisted living facilities and you know, they would never remember that, but I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I, I do boutique residential assisted living and memory care. And they would always tell somebody, Oh, he's in boutique assisted living. They're real small, nice homes. And so I just sort of figured out that was what we would kind of wrap a brand around of. Branding is really important too. Yeah. It's just, I think you have to have a story. I mean, ultimately, um, you know, people make decisions off stories, you know, they don't make decisions off numbers and data. Yeah. That all matters. But you know, being, being able to tell a story is really the difference between uh, successfully um, navigating, you know, difficult markets. And if you can't tell a story, then it's like where you're going to be at, at the market and not above. Right. That's good. And especially there's something I'm even getting into myself. And we constantly talk about the experience, showing them the experience. That's usually what attracts those customers into buying your product. And so that is another key factor that you brought up. So. Let's transition here a little bit. What is something about low that we don't know that you want to share with our audience? It could be related to your business or just you yourself. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I went to college on a debate scholarship. That's usually. Wow. Great. Yeah. I didn't stay very long, I mean, not because my scholarship ran out, but just because I left college, but I did go to college on a debate scholarship. I've never heard of a debate scholarship. Wow. Well, that's because you probably you probably uh, weren't a nerd and you probably uh, didn't hang out with us uh, communication majors, you know. Well, that's two things we have in common, Lo. I also did debate. Nice. Yes. I didn't. And I, I, uh, I wasn't <laughs> the cool You ever won any arguments in the, in the house? Hell no, I don't win arguments. <laughs> well, you never won one against me either, so that's why. It's because we're, we're trained. Hell right. No. I don't argue. So that's interesting. One of the things that I noticed uh, is that you just recently hit $10 million in funds raised, right? Yeah, absolutely. We just crossed over the $10 million in equity uh, mark. Awesome. Which is Congrats. impressive. I mean, we're talking eight figures in money raised. So tell us a little bit about 
what that means one 10 million in equity raise a lot of our audience knows but explain that a little bit in layman's terms and then talk about why you got into a little bit bigger projects i mean you're talking uh, now 10 million raised and i know the scope of your work but explain to our audience the scope of your work in the cities that you're in so you said sure. didn't and then you're also in lake charles louisiana yeah absolutely so yeah, the 10 million mark was kind of a cool milestone. I mean, um, I don't know that I ever set out to, to hit a milestone like that, but now I just kind of want to add a zero. I mean, it feels like 100 million sounds way cooler than, than 10 million. But um, awesome. we just sort of realized that, you know, with assisted living and sort of our, the model of care that we provide, there's a lot of people that, that want to invest and they don't necessarily want to be operators. They don't necessarily want to deal with the stress of, of having the business. And, you know, what I've found personally is there's a lot of people that want to invest in a business that makes them feel good. You know, I always kind of jokingly say, like, there's probably a lot of money in selling weapons to, to, to child soldiers, right? You can make a living doing anything, but right. probably some of them aren't so moral. And I think a lot of people resonate with the idea of being able to invest in something where you kind of improve someone's quality of life. And so to have people that are coming from sometimes larger buildings and they aren't really being well taken care of and their families are not able to go on vacation and, and there's just a, there's just a lot of stuff going on. And so to be able to kind of take people out of those environments, improve their life, improve the quality of life they have, you know, better food, better communication, better care. Um, a lot of investors really enjoy uh, being involved in that. So I'm kind of a presently, I'm a one trick pony. You know, I don't really raise money for anything else. We just raise money for our own projects that we, we own and operate. You know, I, I do think there's, you know, pros and cons to that model, but it does allow us to control the process. And ultimately, if there's a mistake made, you know, we have to own up to it and say, hey, we made a mistake. Here's what's going on versus, you know, well, this set partner number seven didn't do this. And that's why this happened. And I just would rather be able to tell my investors that anything happens good or bad. You know, it's going to be me trying to run through walls to, to, to fix it or run through walls to make it happen. And and there's something very powerful about having that, that ability to have that accountability with your investors. But ultimately, we did a couple of uh, residential assisted living facilities. You know, we, we wanted to establish the concept. We wanted to prove that we could do it. And then we started raising uh, private capital um, through syndication on uh, locations three, four, and five. Um, and then once we kind of got those up to the standards that we wanted, we got approached about a project that's a ground up development in uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana which will be five 16-bed care homes on one campus. So my Dallas operation, these are uh, small assisted living facilities sort of in residential neighborhoods throughout the city with about 15-minute radius. And we decided that instead of you know building a big building down in Lake Charles, we would do a community of care homes. You pull up, it looks like a neighborhood, but instead of you know three or four-bedroom houses, these are massive 16-bed houses that are all independently licensed for assisted living and, and memory care. And so that's about a, you know, 12, $13 million project down in Lake Charles, which is definitely the biggest project I've done. And then we've got another project in Denton um, that's probably about six months behind the Lake Charles project. And uh, it's probably about a, you know, yeah, I would say an 18 or $19 million project in phase one. Wow. And so we've got a couple of, uh, you know, decent sized projects, uh, you know, going simultaneously. And the goal is to, um, you know, solve some problems in each of those cities where the, the level of care isn't, isn't to our expectation to bring a new class of product to town. And uh, they're close enough together that you can have a, you know, a regional manager manager both. And then we'll, we'll look to sort of build out the uh, sort of Louisiana, Texas area. And we'll, 
we'll do that in Louisiana and Texas until we feel like we've done all we can do. And then we can look at other markets. Wow. Wow, That's real good. And so this happened just over the course of several years. Where do you see yourself going at this point? Well, obviously the the thing about it is the projects that I'm doing now, they're all so long-term, right? So, you know, we'll probably begin operations in Lake Charles probably sometime in Q1 or Q2 of um, 2020. So, you know, that, that's going to take a chunk of time, you know, the operations on Denton, you know, the opening of the facility and the filling of beds probably isn't going to start until, you know, Q4 of 2020 or Q1 of uh, 2021. So, you know, I'll, I'll be working on these projects for a while, but, but what happens is, as these things start to become successful, then um, what I try to do then is I really try to bring in talent. So I'm really right now, the number one thing I'm doing is, I'm in key partner acquisition mode. I'm in key employee acquisition mode because essentially when you're in assisted living and there's just all this demand and all this hunger to be in this space and you can develop land, then there really is no limitation to deal flow. If our business model is we want to be in secondary and tertiary markets due to land costs and due to typical supply demand imbalances, just imagine how many secondary and tertiary markets you can find a good price on say six acres and that have need for assisted living, dementia care, things like that. I mean, probably 30, 40, 50 markets pretty easily. Right. And right. so the deal flow can be limitless. Um, what I need is I need teammates, I need partners, I need people that understand the mission, understand the vision, and that, uh, that can solve problems. Because ultimately, you know, as much as I want to be, I can only be in one place at a time. And so it's very important that as we grow that we add, you know, key people along the way so that, you know, quality control doesn't suffer and that uh, sort of the say joke brand of great care, great food and great communication, that that sort of continues on regardless of whether or not I have physical presence on the property or whether or not I, I physically live in the town that uh, services are being offered. So that's really interesting. You, you mentioned that how you're looking for key, key persons right now and in, in doing that acquisition. So, we're going to talk about that in a minute because we have, you know, obviously a list of people and I'm sure you're taking applications or something like that. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, uh, yeah, we'd love to chat with anybody right now. I'm kind of focusing on folks that are in the Dallas area just because, um, you know, I think it's helpful, but certainly if we had somebody in, you know, South Louisiana or um, of course the other project is just North of Dallas, we would certainly have a conversation, you know, over time we'll be working with folks, you know, all across the country. But uh, for now, it's just our, our sort of little slight regional slice of the, of the country is sort of the Louisiana, Texas uh, area. Fair enough. So it sounds to me like you're going through that eye of the needle going from, in Robert Kiyosaki's book, uh, Cashflow Quadrant, he talks about going from E to S to B to I. So it sounds to me like you're between the S and that B cash flow quadrant. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I'm getting more and more to where there's a business behind me. I think I'm still, I haven't quite fully fired myself. It's definitely a goal um, to kind of fire myself from the, at least from the operational part of the business in Dallas and then kind of focus on growth. Um, And uh, so we're in the process of kind of closing that loop and, you know, I've got a great team in Dallas and they're doing a wonderful job. They've, they've really, uh, uh, really stepped up to help, help make it possible for us to allow me to work on these other projects and it really is fun watching, um, you know, people grow with you and on your team, you know, having someone come start to work for you and having them kind of go through the process of understanding things and then sort of them, them bringing their strengths and talents and 
and help being able to solve problems. So I mean, it really is a team effort and I can't be successful if my team doesn't do a good job here. And, you know, I'll have to replicate that success in Lake Charles and have to replicate that success in Denton and, you know, so on and so forth. So really, I mean, it always boils down to the people uh, that you're working with. Right. And, um, you know, if you don't have great people, then uh, you don't have much as a business owner. I agree. I agree, man. You, uh, you're hitting it on the head. So, so if you could provide one golden nugget or tool to our audience that they could use, whether in their business, whether they're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, we're already almost through the month of February. And so many people have set out these goals of, I'm going to open up my business. What key nugget would you give them that they can use right now today? They give two. Would you like two? Would you like a bonus? Two. Sure. Okay, perfect. <laughs> So I think the two things I think about that are most important for the entrepreneur, number one is, is that they need to, whatever business they're in, they need to really work very hard to understand on a molecular level. I think sometimes what happens is we all, you know, we want to take this CEO 20,000 foot view. And I think that's the correct view over the long haul. But I think when you're initially getting started, I think you need to get inside the business and really understand it. You know, whatever business you're going to do, you know, if you're going to own a, you know, a Wendy's, you know, know how to cook the fries because ultimately, if you can identify with what that person's going through that's cooking the French fries, you can improve the process, you can have conversations with them. And if they don't show up for work one day, you can throw on your apron, you can go back there and you can solve the issue. So I think it's always really important to understand your, your business on a molecular level and then you can slowly kind of pull out. And that's been, been very true for me because I got very hands-on and, and being an assisted living manager. And I think the second thing is, I really truly believe that one of the things that allowed us to be successful is, is we know how to create revenue. And if you can figure out how to create revenue, either through sales or marketing, then you can solve just about every problem, you know, because if you can be successful in that regard, you can, you can hire more people, you can hire the best vendors and you can provide the best levels of service. You can have high expenses because you have high revenue. So I think the thing is, is if you can sell, if you can market, then you can always be successful. And so if you're an entrepreneur, you know, just getting started and you don't feel confident about your sales skills, then I think that's something you really have to improve upon because I don't know many successful entrepreneurs that are not successful at sales. Right. You know, there, there are all kinds of different ways to sell and all kinds of different styles. But ultimately, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to be able to sell. You have to be able to sell your company's vision to your employees. You have to be able to, to get your customers to give you their hard earned money and feel good about it. And uh, you've, you've got to be able to attract the best vendors. And in order to do that, I think you have to present yourself and present your product and present your company in a way that's attractive to other people. And to me, that's the core of, of what we do. That's real good. That's real good. Absolutely phenomenal. So, sure. all right. So, you know, we appreciate you taking the time. Listen, man, how can somebody get a hold of you to learn more about assisted living, to learn more about the projects, to learn more about what it is that you do? Absolutely. So uh, best thing to do is just send me an email. My first name is Lowe, L-O-E. And uh, my email address is at the, T-H-E, sage, like the color green, oak, like the tree, dot com, Lowe at the sage oak dot com. So, I mean, I get emails, you know, for about all kinds of things. Sometimes as simple as I'm looking for assisted living in Detroit. Do you know anybody to, you know, I'm interested in investing in assisted living to, I'm interested in, in uh, you know, getting coaching about how to get started. You know, I, I work with, uh, with an academy that helps people in residential assisted living. So ultimately, I mean, anything they need in the space, I'm happy to you know, have a conversation, whether they want to be a passive investor or whether they, uh, you know, want to just, uh, you know, help grandma find a place somewhere we can, we can help them any way we can. 
That's phenomenal. I appreciate it, man. It's been a really good interview. Thank you for taking the time to, to talk to us. And we look forward to seeing how you succeed in all your projects. It's turning out really well, and uh, I'm excited. Thank you both for having me. Thank you for listening to Real Life Real Equity Podcast. If you'd like more information on joining the Real Equity Club, visit the website at realequityclub.com. There, you will get access to the tools, providers, and ideas you need to create, grow, and maintain your wealth. Again, that's realequityclub.com. If you would like to ask the hosts a question or be exposed to our podcast audience, visit our website at realliferealequity.com and submit a request. Again, that's realliferealequity.com. Or send us an email at info at realliferealequity.com. Again, that's info at realliferealequity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on Real Life Real Equity Podcast.